Okay, good morning, one and all. If I can have your attention, if you want to take your seats with your drinks. All the guys out in the cafe, in the coffee, please, could you make your way back in? Sorry, you've missed your chance. Um, so thank you. They've now got to do the walk of shame. Isn't it great? Let's all just look at them for a moment. No, no, it's not. Um, just look at me again, just for a moment. I want to tell you, start by telling you a story. It's actually a true story. Uh, it's not something I'm making up. Uh, once, what I want us to do, I want to take us back uh, about, uh, nearly 100 years to about 1920. I want to take us to 1920 to a small town in Suffolk called Sudbury. And in Sudbury, on a Sunday morning, a Salvation Army uh, band went out to do what Salvation Army bands did at that sort of end of the century. And... The Salvation Army, for those of you who don't know it, was uh, instigated by a guy called William Booth and was there in order to make a difference uh, to those uh, who were trapped in poverty, who were often forgotten in society, uh, were caught up in addictions, and to actually go out and say something about the wonder of who Jesus was. And, and how he sought to do that was to um, send out kind of groups of guys to play musical instruments that would play tunes that were based around the tunes that people knew uh, in their day and age. Catchy tunes that would catch people up. And then as people gathered around, they'd sometimes add words to the, the tunes that were all about Jesus. Sometimes people would step forward and talk about the wonder of who Jesus is. And then they would kind of process back to where their building, where they met, which is often called a core, uh, in order they could then present Jesus. On one such occasion, in 1920s, they're in Sudbury, this area of, of England, and a particular Salvation Army uh, group that were there. They were out playing in an era where uh, there was a number of uh, individuals struggling poverty, and there was one individual in particular who was stood watching. It was a guy called George. And this guy called George was in a family that loved him, but didn't have the ability to provide for him. And so George found himself out on a Sunday morning, on a morning a bit like this, without a coat and with shoes that barely existed. And as he listened to the music, something in him caused him to stay around. And he listened away. And once the band finished, no one stood up to speak, but one of the men who'd been playing an instrument saw George. George was around 17, 18 at this point in time. And saw George and saw that it was cold and George didn't have a coat. Saw George and saw it was cold and that George didn't really have any shoes. And so this guy who played an instrument walked up to George and silently gave him his coat and silently took off his shoes and gave George his shoes and then walked away and walked with the other band members back to their church building. George was overwhelmed that a complete stranger would give him the coat off his back and the shoes off his feet. And the only response that George could make was to follow this group of guys where it just didn't make any sense. And so George followed them to this church building. And in this church building, someone began to explain to George why a guy who played a musical instrument would give him his coat and his shoes why someone would seek to be that kind to George. 
George, as he heard this news for the first time in his whole of his life, of the wonder of who Jesus is, of the wonder how Jesus has been so kind to us, his only response was to accept Jesus himself. That from a guy giving him a coat and a shoe, and some shoes to wear, it caused George to realize the wonder of who Jesus was and to accept him in his heart. Now the thing is, for that Salvation Army bandsman, he, he didn't really ever get to know about what happened for George. He got to see George around, but that was it. That's where the story ended. Maybe he got a kind of pat on the back of saying, well done for giving your coat, well done for giving your shoes, and then worked out once he got home, what on earth am I going to do now? I need to get a new coat and a new pair of shoes. But he wasn't ever to know what would happen as a result of George receiving a coat and a pair of shoes and deciding to follow Jesus. You see, the story doesn't end with George. You see, the story fast forwards through generation to generation. So much so that it gets to four generations' time, and the great-great-grandson of George gets the privilege of living in a community that are here to reveal Jesus and go out to people who don't have coats or don't have shoes or socks and give those coats shoes and socks. See, George's surname was Hurst. And George was my great-great-grandfather. For me, I get the privilege today of looking at the fruit that lasted his kindness. For me, I stand as a testimony of that fruit lasting. Of four generations ago, someone taking a moment to reveal the kindness that they'd known, practically express through giving a pair of shoes and a coat. And my guess is that Salvation Army guy didn't think any further than giving a coat and a pair of shoes to what that action might in turn produce in fruit. I'm not saying that somehow this is all about me. I'm not suddenly saying that this morning, therefore, is like me doing a kind of family tree thing where we kind of look back and say, oh, wow, that's where I've come from. No, it's not about that. It's rather that I want us to understand in this series that we're in a fruit that lasts, that actually there's a way that God wants to characterize our life that actually would cause us to have moments where we're able to mark other people's lives. And we will never quite know what will happen as a result of that. And so this morning I want us to look, as I said, at this whole area of kindness. And if you've been around here uh, over the last few weeks, you know we're in this series looking at uh, Galatians 5 verses 22 to 23, where we find Paul kind of describes how our lives are to be characterized now as followers of Jesus. That in us following Jesus, it doesn't just simply mean that, that we get this badge to wear that, that we says, oh yeah, we're with Jesus, but rather it transforms our very life in order that there'll be uh, attributes, characteristics, fruits that would characterize our life. And, and those, those fruits aren't kind of ones that we're to kind of try and attach to our life, but rather ones that are actually to come out from within, that actually God who is Father, God who is Son, Jesus, God who is Holy Spirit, comes and dwells within us as Holy Spirit, and dwells within us in order to produce the characteristics of the life that we now have through Jesus. 
that the Holy Spirit himself is revealing this life that reveals God. And therefore, we're looking week on week at these different fruits of the Spirit that are detailed by Paul, understanding that it isn't some sort of fruit bowl that we pick which ones we kind of want to reveal, but rather that the Holy Spirit is wanting to work within each and every one of us to produce all of them. And that isn't something passive. It isn't that we just kind of say, well, I won't do anything then, and somehow magically the Holy Spirit will do us, do these, produce these fruit within us, but rather understanding that, that it's something we do in partnership with God, in partnership with the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is wanting to lead us in this direction that produces these fruit. As the Holy Spirit is continuously working within us saying, come on, choose this way to live. And that we then get to partner with the Holy Spirit by saying, we choose to live that way. And so it's with that in mind that I want us to springboard, as always, from Galatians 5, 22 to 23, where you then use this as a point to springboard to look at other passages that help us understand this whole area of kindness. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. I want us, therefore, to zoom in on kindness. Not because of the potential ramifications it could have in four generations' time, but because of the fact that it is, if we're a follower of Jesus, what's meant to characterize our life. That the Holy Spirit is wanting to work within us to cause us to be people that are known for our kindness. Now, our starting point in looking at this is actually to understand that kindness and goodness are very similar. I was kind of, the more and more I read around this, the more I realized that people seem to say that actually kindness and goodness seem to be the same thing. And I talked to Gus and I said, how do I, how do I portray this? And Gus always has enabled me to have wisdom sometimes in situations. And on this one he said, what you need to do is a Venn diagram. I thought... That's exactly what I need to do. Google Venn diagram. And so then I thought, actually, a Venn diagram will allow us to see. You see, a Venn diagram is about this. It's understanding that we have two interlocking circles. One, if you like, is, is goodness. The other one is kindness. And when goodness and kindness meet, these two circles meet, the orange area, it's kind of where you see both words can be interch- used interchangeably. That in the way that we see others act, the way we can act towards the others, others, the way others can act towards us, often we can use interchangeably the word kindness or goodness in, in, in those actions to describe them. But I kind of don't feel it's right just to live in that area. You see, Paul uses this list to say this is how we're characterized by the fruits of the Spirit within us. Therefore, if he was simply going to say, you know, it's kindness and goodness, why didn't he just put that? Why didn't he just use a word that could have described both? Why didn't he just say connection, you know, kindness and goodness? Or goodness and kindness. He doesn't. He lists them individually. He says that we'll be to be characterized by kindness and goodness separately. Therefore, there has to be some uniqueness about kindness, and there has to be some uniqueness about goodness. And therefore, this week and next week, I want us to look at the uniqueness of kindness and the uniqueness of goodness. In other words, in terms of the diagram, we're going to hang out in the blue section this week and the green section next week. We're not going to worry so much about the orange because the orange will come clear as we'll realize how the blue and the green work. 
Man, if you're listening to this online, you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. But basically, so we're going to look at what's uniquely a kindness today and the fruit of kindness. And next week, we'll look at what is uniquely the, the fruit of goodness. And to help us do that, I want to ask you a question. How do you introduce yourself? This won't come up on the screens. It's just me asking you, how do you introduce yourself to people? My guess is that, like me, you tend to introduce yourself in terms of what you do, the life stage you're in, and where you live. Now, if you've ever learned a foreign language, those are generally the first things that you learn to help you survive in another culture with a different language. And so I didn't do too well at school in terms of language, and I learned German. And this, so I can survive in Germany. This is what I know. My name is Adrian. Ich bin 13 Jahre alt. What that means is, my name is Adrian, I am 13 years old. Now, the problem with that is I don't know any other number. I only know 13. And so my guess is my survival in Germany is slightly inhibited by that fact. And so generally, whenever I meet someone who's German, I play my trump card. My name is Adrian. Ich bin 13 Jahre alt. And they look at me as some sort of deranged idiot. So well, why are you saying this? Because I'm trying to build a bridge. I think, man, I'm being very friendly. I'm not doing to the typical English thing, which is you're from another culture. Hello, my name's Adrian. Yes, I'm 38. Thinking they can understand the louder I speak. You know, we laugh, but we all do it. Someone doesn't understand us, speak louder, because that always helps. No, I, I do. I, I play my trump card, Adrian, 13 years old. And generally, the bridges are built then forever. What about God? How does God introduce himself? Well, you know one of the ways God introduces himself? I love it when you get these moments where God speaks about who he is. You find it littered through the story of the Old Testament, of God interacting with humanity, and, and suddenly God comes on the scene. We saw Gus speak about it last week, where Moses is a, kind of saying, can I see you, God? And it says, God kind of passes, and he just sees the end of, kind of God passing, and then God pronounces, I, I'm God, I'm, I'm compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. It's like God announcing, this is what I'm like. There's many moments where God announces that. There's this moment in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah's life, the prophet, prophet, where God announces who he is, what he's like. He says this, I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. I love this. What's God like? He says, what am I like? As God, I'm kind. How God describes himself, he says, in this, he says, I, I'm one who exercises kindness. And it isn't that, he says, I exercise kindness because I have to. He says, God exercises kindness because he delights to. But I don't know who you think God is this morning. I don't even think if you think God is some sort of tyrant after kind of making you see how wrong you are and then punish you for it. You know, what, what God says about himself, he says, oh, I'm one who delights in being kind. One who enjoys being kind. So 
if God is one who delights in describing himself as one who loves, enjoys, delights in being kind, then we need to look at that because actually if the Holy Spirit who is God is dwelling within us, cause, calling us, pulling us to produce this fruit that's to mark our lives of kindness, then surely it's got to be the kind of God, God-like kindness that's being described here, being spoken of here. The Holy Spirit is wanting to put in us, pull out of us, produce in us the kindness that we see in God because the Holy Spirit is God. And sometimes I say things and I think, man, you must sit there thinking, you're not that smart, Adrian, are you? You know, you're saying very obvious things. You know, the Holy Spirit, who is God, wants to produce in us kindness like God. Well, sometimes we need to hear the obvious. This isn't like some self-help group of like looking and saying, how can we make ourselves more kind? It's rather saying, actually, this is what God's like, and he's now in us. How can we therefore live revealing this? So then let's look at kindness explained, about how the kindness of God is explained. We find this amazing song sung by a prophet called Isaiah in Isaiah 63, 7, 9. And he just says this. I'm not going to sing it. He says, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord. And when you hear someone sing that, you might, your kind of ears prick up. Come on then, tell me. He says, in all their distress, when he's singing about the people of God, the people of Israel, he says, in all their distress, he too was distressed and the angel of his presence saved them in his love and mercy he redeemed them see through this song in Isaiah in chapter 63 verses 7 to 9 we we find Isaiah kind of singing saying I can describe what this kindness that God proclaims that he is uh, delighting to offer and give is like and he says firstly he says it's, it's a kindness where God identifies and understands. That's what this kindness is like. He says that, that God saw the distress his people were in and he felt distressed. He didn't just look on and think, oh, that's, that seems a bit of a problem. No, no he says like, he felt distress. He identified with them. He understood how they were feeling. The part of God's kindness is revealed in him identifying with people, understanding where people are at. But it doesn't stop there. It then says, then he took action. He identified and understood in his kindness, and that's how it's kind of described, explained. It's then that it was then worked out through him taking action. We're told that he sent his angel to save them told he then provided for them he then redeemed them in other words rescued them from the situation they were in and then it says and he did this he took action through identifying who they are and this is prophet singing about God's kindness not because the people deserved it not because that suddenly they'd done something that God said alright okay now I'll act and it says because of his love and mercy completely unmerited see God's kindness explained is one that is revealed through him identifying and understanding where people are at 
in understanding and identifying where people are at and understanding their needs, he then takes action to provide for that need. Not because the person, the people, have done something to deserve that action, but rather because he desires to. Desires to reveal his love and his mercy. See, at this point, we could then say, well, then that's what it looks like for us then, isn't it? So we therefore need to reveal kindness. And how we therefore need to reveal kindness is we need to identify and understand other people who are in need of kindness. And in identifying and understanding others' needs, we then need to take action to do that. And we need to take action that's not merited by what they've done. It isn't that we need to allow them to get to the point of earning it, but rather we actually take action that's unmerited. We take action to people who may not even deserve it. But at that point, if we simply start there, all we're doing is we're bolting on outward expressions of kindness. We're kind of saying, well, God's like this, therefore I better be like that. And so I bolt on, I I just make myself like this. And so I kind of try and live a life where I'm identifying with people and understanding. I, I live a life where I take action and I better do that. And, and yeah, I kind of better do it even when it doesn't quite make sense. So we've already heard through worship that someone read that passage out that, that God's not after what we look at like outside. He wants to kind of dig in deep into who we are inside and say, actually, what's going on inside? How are you being motivated to live this way from who you are, from your very essence of being? In order that produces in something in you outside. See, for us, where we need to pause for a moment is maybe for the first time to hear this, maybe for the, the millionth, to actually to remember that we're actually those that don't just hear and see God's kindness proclaimed and explained. We also get to experience it. We also get to see God's kindness expressed. Titus 3, verse 4, 5, and then Ephesians 2, 7 do this. It says this, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. In Ephesians 2, 7, we continue it. In order that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See, it isn't that we look back at the Old Testament and say, oh, that's how God was described. That's how God then acted. It's that we get to, because of we having the privilege of living post-Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that we get to look on Jesus and say, actually, we get to not only see how God has exercised uh, kindness, but we get to experience how God has exercised kindness. See, in short, what Paul's writing in Titus and then Ephesians is actually saying, actually, if you want to know how God reveals and expresses kindness, it's Jesus. Kindness equals Jesus. And what I love about that Ephesians passage is it's saying that, well, first of all, the Titus one is saying, God, out of his kindness towards us, sends Jesus to save us. And why we link it in with the Ephesians 2 passage is because I, I just love this part. And then it says, This kindness that's shown through Jesus reveals what? The incomparable riches of God's grace, his unmerited favor, love, and mercy towards us forever. 
man. God's kindness revealed through Jesus to you and I reveals God's incomparable riches of his grace. That, that God looks through the, the, the kind of marks of time and says, if you want to see how rich I am, how abundant I am in displaying my unmerited, undeserved love, acceptance, forgiveness and mercy, then look at anyone, look at anyone who's received Jesus because they've become one who's understood that Jesus reveals kindness. They've become one whose life has been transformed by Jesus. And therefore it reveals the wonder of my grace. See, at this point we might be asking, well, why do we need kindness? Now for many of us, we know this. But it's really good to remind ourselves of this. Because it's actually in reminding ourselves of why we need kindness. It then allows us to live out of that place of saying, man, the kindness that I've received is amazing. And in the amazement of the kindness I've received, it then allows me to then reveal it. See, why we need kindness is because all of us, before we put our faith and trust in Jesus, and if we've not yet put our faith and trust in Jesus, this is the position we're in, are in rebellion to God. Are seeking to say, actually, I'm going to live with myself at the center of my life and not God. And I can dress it up in many, many different ways, but ultimately that's what we're saying. And as a result of that, all of us have lived at one stage, or maybe still living at this point in time, with some ramifications of saying, I'm not going to live, God, with you at the center of who I am. I'm going to live with me at the center. And that is that we live with the consequence of separation. That actually, we cannot know God. And God cannot know us. That we live with this deep sense of restlessness, continuously wandering around this world looking for satisfaction and it never quite delivering, looking for identity, looking for value, that we live with that sense of, of shame. That sense of shame that comes through what we've done and what others have done to us. And that ultimately we live with this elephant in the room that everyone knows about but no one likes to talk about and that is death. And there's something in us as humanity that just knows this isn't meant to be the way. There's something in us that just says we weren't meant to die. And you can look at it on TV, as I often say, man, watch Channel 5, and it is Channel 5 for Channel 4, watch Channel 5 after 9, and it's just continuously for an hour, just usually programs that are about how can you stop the signs of decay? How can you stop the signs of death? Because there's something in us that just says, we're not meant to be this way. But the Bible tells this story of how that is our position without God. And yet, in our need, God identifies with us and recognizes that we can do nothing to get out of that situation. In our rebellion to God, in our saying we're going to go our own way, we can't do anything about the separation, the restlessness, the shame and the death. And so God, in his kindness, sends Jesus to save us. And so that we find that when Jesus comes and doesn't consider himself anything, but rather we're told in Philippians, humbles himself. He who is God, who has all rights, says, actually, I'm going to 
set aside my rights in order to demonstrate kindness to the whole of humanity. In order that you find that on the cross, where Jesus dies, he makes a way that everyone can experience for themselves firsthand the kindness of God. So we find on the cross, Jesus is separated from the, from the Father and the Spirit for the first time ever. Find on the cross this moment where Jesus cries out within the pain, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in history, for the first time in eternity, Jesus knows separation. Why? In order that once he's resurrected, he could offer a life to anyone who puts their faith and trust in him through his death and resurrection, that they can no longer know separation. So that all could know through putting their faith in him that they now are restored in relationship to God, now belong to God, now will never be separated from God. That on the cross we find Jesus who's restless. One who we find is is just in torment there. Why? In order that he could offer through his resurrection rest for anyone who puts their faith and trust in him. The rest of knowing that God satisfies. The rest knowing that God is able to give us the identity, the value that we so long for. That we find on Jesus, on the cross, that he took on our shame. He took on our shame by becoming a spectacle amongst the crowds of one who was marred beyond the description, the likeness of any human. Through the batterings and beatings he received. One who was shamed by the, the fun that was poked by the signs that would have put upon him. One who was shamed by the fact that he kind of hung on a cross semi-naked. One who was shamed by having placed on him all of the wrong things that we've done and the wrong things that have been done to us. Why? In order that in that resurrection moment he could offer a life that says, I can offer you a life that's free from shame. Where you can know forgiveness and acceptance. And on the cross we find Jesus who died in order that he could rise again to offer life to anyone who believes in him. In order that in believing in him we could know the kindness of God, that death is no longer the end. We get to know life eternal. See, we're those that in putting our faith and trust in Jesus have received such kindness. I've received such kindness from God in what we so often take for granted in what we know in being in relationship with God. And it's out of continuously coming back to that point of saying, God, you've been so kind to me. God, I live in such an abundantly fruitful position in life. I'm not talking about the circumstances of life that you're facing at the moment, because I know you could argue with me at that point, but it doesn't feel like life's too good at this point in time. At those points, we have to zoom out and say, let's not take it at this moment. Let's take it in the grander scheme of the richness of the identity, the life I now have because of what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. It's only at that point that we can bring any hope into this world. And it's in those moments as we remember and recognize the kindness that we have received. It allows us to then from that point start to reveal kindness. Start to be those that actually seek to say, well, in partnership with you, Holy Spirit, in you living within me. See, the Bible's amazing. 
In us putting our faith and trust in Jesus, it then says, Jesus doesn't say, now try your best. He says, no, now I send the Holy Spirit, who is God, to come and reside within you. Not for you to kind of pass a test. Say, oh yeah, I've passed this test now, Jesus. Now will you cause the Holy Spirit to come and live in me? No, it says, no, as soon as you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. And then the Holy Spirit wants to continuously come and overwhelm you. Why? In order that we could then partner with the Holy Spirit. In order that we could then get to these moments and say, God, I've received so much kindness. I've experienced so much kindness. Holy Spirit, I want to work with you in revealing this. I want to reveal with you, God, your kindness. Can I leave us with three ways that I believe we should be seeking to do this? I think firstly in our words. I think we need to be looking to do it this way. Remembering this isn't something we're saying now, now let's bolt on, you must. Now this is from within. In the kindness I've received, now allow it to infiltrate how I live my life. And so I do it through my words. Are we kind with our words? Do we seek to build others up? Or are we more prone to tear others down? How do we speak about others to other people? Gus last week reminded us of James 1.19, which simply says this, Be quick to listen and slow to speak. For some, and for some of us, this is essential living advice. That we need to live knowing, practically, you remember it like this, two ears, one mouth. Therefore, listen twice as much as you speak. For some of us, we just know before we've thought about it, and you can argue philosophically as to whether you can say anything without thinking about it, but for some of us, I know, we just say it. And we say stuff, and we start saying it, and then we start realizing what we're saying. We see the person who's hearing what we're saying. We think, what am I doing? Is this expressing the kindness that God has expressed to me? Unmerited? Identifying, understanding this person? Trying to provide for where they're at? And we think, oh no, no, this is just smacking them down. But we just keep speaking. For some of us, we have to just stop and we just have to remember two ears, one mouth. Quick to listen, slow to speak. For some of us, if you don't leave anything else this morning, for some of us, we just know that's how we need to apply this. In understanding that the kindness of God, we need to use our words wisely. For others of us, it's just having more confidence. And then actually the best way we can express our kindness is to just to simply think, how can I build this person up rather than tear them down? In our family, we have this little line that we continuously use, Lucy and I, and it goes like this, with our kids. It may be right, but is it kind? If you've got kids, you kind of know there's often things that are said to each other that are right. But unfortunately, in them being right, they're often not kind. And so, you look a state could be a right evaluation. But it's just not kind. Or, that drawing is exceptionally bad. Could be a right evaluation, but it's just not kind. For some of us, 
We need to live thinking about that, thinking this may be right, but is it kind? For some of us, we have to think through and say, I may win the argument, but have I lost the person? Sometimes we just have to say, do you know what? I love this person more than the argument. Now in this, I'm not saying that we never speak up for what's right. Sometimes the kindest thing to do is to speak about what's right. But it has to be with that heart. And when you shout at someone, you're wrong. If you don't change it, you're going to burn forever. It genuinely doesn't help them. They don't listen to that one. If you draw alongside them, and out of the kindness you've received that was unmerited, you start to speak from that place. To say, I want to be with you. I want to be with you as you start to walk through life and try to work out how do you make sense of life. That tends to help people more. So we be kind in our words. Secondly, let's be kind in our actions. Remember, think of this one. I always think about uh, a moment where Lucy and I are in two of our kids. So it's, it's BB in our life before Becca, as we had two kids. And, and at that stage, we had the privilege of staying in London for three weeks. Some friends of ours who owned kind of a quite a big Georgian house uh, that had. Uh, uh, a really nice frontage in a nice part of London and we got to stay there for three weeks while they were touring Europe and so we, we kind of moved our family everything down for three weeks and the only, pro- the only kind of proviso was that we had to look after their two dogs and take them regularly for walks now the thing you need to understand about their house is it was kind of a four story house and the back of the house was a little yard with exceptionally high walls and at the back of it was the uh, kind of the London o- underground going overground so it's a, a huge bank within the track of the train at the top. This is a key bit of information. We, we kind of went out one afternoon to take the dogs for a walk, Lucy and I and the two kids. As we're kind of nearing to the home, I kind of search my pockets and realize I don't have the keys. So I turn to Lucy and say, have you got the keys, got the keys, got the keys? In my nice relaxed matter, manner. And Lucy's like, well, I haven't got the keys. And I'm like, who's got the keys? Who's got the keys? Who's got the keys? I realized at that point that somewhere in a park in London, we've lost their keys. The only keys at this point we have to get in their house. Here's the problem. We can't get into the back of the house. There's Lucy and I, two kids. Sam at this point is in a pushchair and a Labrador and a Spaniel. And we're stuck outside. I mean, what on earth do we do now? So I say to Lucy, I've got five pounds. It's tea time. Um, the only thing that's open is an ice cream van. Feed the children. <laughs> so Lucy kind of goes off, and I say, I'll sort out getting into the house, thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I do what I do best, which is blag. And so I start knocking on neighbors' doors, and I finally get an answer from this lady, and I, I say to her, look, you don't know me, but I'm staying with my wife in your next-door neighbor's house, and I've locked myself out, and I wondered if I could come through your house, jump over your back wall, and climb into their back garden, because I think I've left the back door open. She looks at me thinking, really? And I say, I know them. And so I name who they are, and I tell them about them. I say, look, if you see my wife walking off, going to get ice cream for our kids, you can see their dogs. At this point, that kind of resonates in her. She thinks, yeah, you've got their dogs. So, so she allows me into her house. Unbelievable woman. So she lets me into her house. 
I get into the back garden. Her wall's like six foot, so I can get that. I then look over the other edge. It's a 12-foot drop. I think, God, this is a bit kind of nasty. So hang off, drop down. I'm now in their back garden. Commitment beyond all commitments. If the back door's not open, I'm stuffed. Like, there's a bank behind me, 30-foot, 12-foot wall all around. Get to the back door. It's open. Come on. At that point, I open the back door. I'm not mucking around. The sky goes immediately dark. Lightning starts and rain comes. I've never seen so much rain fall in my life. It's going, rain is pouring down. I'm thinking, oh no, Lucy's with two kids. I've now got in the house. I'm dry, she's wet. So I think, find spare keys, get out front door, remembering spare keys. So get out front door, close front door, look down the road, and see Lucy coming towards me with two dogs, two children with bags on their heads, plastic bags on their heads. I'm thinking, what is going on here? Because we're not a very practical family. We didn't, of course, go out with any coats or umbrellas or anything. So she's coming out with bags on her heads. And as she gets nearer, I can smell lots of alcohol on her and the children. I'm thinking, this is a bit bizarre. And so she gets very close, and the, these, the kind of smell of alcohol increases somewhat. So much so that actually I step back because of the scent of alcohol. And Lucy starts to explain where she got the bags from. So Lucy got these bags from this guy who kind of lived from his trolley. And in his trolley, he had all of his possessions. In his possessions, he had four plastic bags. In those four plastic bags was the only stuff he had, which was alcohol. And when he saw Lucy and the kids stuck under a bridge in the pouring rain, he did what only he could do. And that was he emptied his bottles out of his bags and gave his bags to Lucy and the kids. I remember in that evening, Lucy and I finally calming down. Kids asleep, and we start to think about the day. Lessons to be learned. There's do you know what overwhelmed us? It wasn't being locked out. It was the kindness that we received, the kindness of a lady who entrusted us, entrusted me to be to jump into her, my neighbor's, her neighbor's back garden. But more than that, the kindness of a guy who gave of everything he had, which to us we can look and say, they're just plastic bags. That's what he had. And he gave us everything. And it meant the most to Lucy and I and our kids. And do you know what? We didn't bath the kids that night. We didn't mind them going to bed sleep smelling a bit of alcohol because it reminded us of the kindness of that guy. Sometimes we can think that we can only be kind when we've got something resource-wise to be kind with. My lesson from a guy who lives from a trolley under a bridge in London is actually you be kind with what you've got out of the richness of the kindness that God has given us. As we experience and encounter people in need, let's act out of kindness with what we've got, not what we wish we had. And then lastly, I want to leave us with this. It's not only being kind with our actions and our words. Can I ask us, let's be kind to ourselves. At this point, you can think, well, that's like a nuts one to put, because surely that's suddenly getting all selfish and inward. But I'd actually say, I think for some of us, it's the most important thing to, to hear today. I think for some of us, we need to note that we just need to be kind to ourselves. That for some of us, we actually are easily able to be kind to others, but never allow anyone 
to be kind to us, let alone to allow God's kindness to reach us because we just believe we're not worthy of receiving kindness. Maybe it's because of stuff we've done. Maybe it's because of stuff that people have done to us. And we just think, but if you really knew, you'd know why no one should be kind to me. And if you're in that place, I guess I just want to appeal to you and just say, actually, do you know what? When you're at the point where you think, I don't deserve kindness, actually, that's exactly the point that God wants you to be in. Because none of us ever deserve kindness to the extent, the extent of which God has shown us. And yet it's because of who he is that he wants to be kind to you. He wants to be kind to me. And therefore in that moment where you think, how can I receive kindness? Actually twist it around and say, because I know I can't receive kindness. I'm the kind of person that God loves to show kindness to. Therefore, with that tiny, tiny bit of understanding, I come to you, God, and say, God, I receive your kindness. We get to live in and reveal a life of kindness. And my simple question is, are we? Do we need to investigate it? Do we need to receive it? Do we need to reveal it? I don't know what it is for you. Can we stand just to finish off with? Just for, just close your eyes. I don't, I don't know which one it is for you. Is it investigate, receive, reveal? In a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And once I've finished praying, I'm going to say we've ended. But for some of us, we just know that we need to receive kindness. Maybe we've never, ever received Jesus, the kindness that's offered through Jesus. And today is the day where you can come forward, speak to me, and I'd love to pray with you to receive that kindness. For others of us, we know we've received Jesus' kindness, but for some reason, we're just discounting ourselves at the moment. Or maybe we've, received, we've, we've never fully believed it. And today is a day where we just need to know Jesus' kindness. There's going to be people to pray for you. He's going to come forward at the end if you fit into that category. The rest of us are either going to come and pray for you or going to go and grab a drink. If you're a parent, you're going to immediately go out and get your kids from kids' work. But I'm just going to pray for us. Jesus, I just pray wherever we're at. I pray would we live understanding more of the kindness that you have revealed to us. And I pray for some of us, as we begin to understand that more, I pray, would you win our hearts? I pray for many of us where we have understood it. I pray, God, would it keep being something that daily we're remembering in order that we'd live out of that place of revealing your kindness to those around us. And God, I, I pray, I pray that through, through moments of speech and actions, through the kindness that we say and speak as a church, that there would be generations of people who bear fruit in their lives because of the kindness that we reveal. I ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, basically everyone's going to move so you won't get noticed. So if you'd like to get prayed for, please come forward now. If you've got kids, please go and get them. If you want to grab a tea and coffee, please go and get that. Otherwise, we're done. So please come forward if you want prayer.